0: Hello and welcome to LPO Offstage. I'm Yolanda Brown and this is the podcast that gets down to the nitty-gritty with members of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Today we're getting an insight into the important role of the orchestra stage managers. What do they get up to behind the scenes? Well, here's a sneak peek.
1: Good morning. Uh, This is Stephen O'Flaherty here, um, part of the London Philharmonic Orchestra stage and transport team who I work closely with, Freddie Jackson and Laura Kitten. So today is the 23rd of March, it's 530 and I've just arrived at the Croydon store. It's an early, early start. I've got a big day today, picking up the truck from the Croydon store and then I'm going to take it over to Royal Festival Hall. So we've got a Bright Sparks kids concert on at Festival Hall, followed by the uh, film music with Danny Elfman and Shore and Lord of the Rings. So, um, yeah, lots of percussion, going to different venues and lots of logistics that's been planned by Laura, which uh, she's got a great mind for that.
2: Well, it's um, it's Laura and Freddie here doing a little audio together. Hello. Um, the time is 1.30. We've been here since 9am um, unloading.
3: Yeah, the two trucks we unloaded at 10 and we were here a bit earlier just to set the stage and have a look just to sort of gauge what was going on. We've just finished now. Sorry, you can hear Colin in the background practising. The stage looks very busy, but should look impressive for the audience and sound great.
2: Yeah, Colin needs a couple of hours rehearsal before the concert. So we had to get here extra early to make sure everything was set up ready for him.
3: So. Uh, we we're just waiting for the rest of the orchestra to arrive for this afternoon's rehearsal. So yeah, well, so far so good.
1: Hello again, this is Stephen. Basically, it's lunchtime now and the Bright Sparks concert is on its way and it's coming to an end soon. We've got to get everything that's on stage and kind of do a bit of a change around on, on some instruments off stage, basically, and onto the truck. And then there is some of the percussion the Timps, the Celeste and some other things just going up to Bishopsgate again for the concert. So we're just about to do that, but the load in was fine. We got the rent car, or the rent van, and that went fine. No hiccups there. Sometimes you can be waiting a bit, but it was all smooth. So now we've got to yeah, just basically get out of Festival Hall, get the truck loaded up and dovetail with the uh, RPO who are coming in.
3: Once this concert's finished, we're then loading out our main truck as well as a few extra bits on the van that's already gone to Bishopsgate a bit earlier for the percussion rehearsal. So a few bits are going on there first and then our main truck, the LPO truck, is going to be loaded to go to Henry Wood Hall for tomorrow's rehearsal. Once that's loaded, I am then shooting off to pick up from Gumtree a distressed piano that somebody was getting rid of for free, thankfully, which is going to be used in the concert on Friday. This coming Friday, it's a distress piano that's going to be hit with chains by a percussionist. So I'm going there for about 2.30 to collect that to then drop off at Henry Wood.
2: It is 1am. We've just got home from work. We finished loading all of the instruments out of Festival Hall onto our truck, ready for a recording session tomorrow lunchtime at about 11pm, and then we nipped to the pub to join some of the team for a quick pint. And then it took us about an hour to get home. The concert went really well. It was really well received.
3: Yeah, and uh, now just relaxing at home, ready for tomorrow's next challenge.
2: Which is a um a recording session, so we'll be back at work in less than um about ten hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well Great. <laughs>
0: Amazing. Well, that gives us a flavour of a day in the life of a stage manager at the LPO. And I'm here with them now. Today, we're at the Royal Festival Hall on London's South Bank, the busy and bustling Royal Festival Hall. Let me introduce you to everyone. I'm joined by stage managers, Laura Kitson and Freddie Jackson, and Harpist Rachel Masters. Welcome, Laura, Freddie and Rachel. Hi.
2: Hello. Hello.
0: Hello. Now, Laura, I'll start with you. Tell me what the day is really like, where does it all start?
2: No day is ever quite the same for us, but generally speaking, we tend to start with the truck in Croydon. That's our main truck store. Yeah, Stephen, who is our main driver, who's not here today because he's on a rest break, he normally starts a good two hours before us. What sort of time would that be? Um, If we start at about eight, he will probably get to the store for about a quarter past six, maybe a bit earlier, to try and battle through the traffic. It's only ten miles, but it takes um, a very long time in the morning. And then, yeah, we normally start about two and a half to three hours before the orchestra turn up. We set up, bring the instruments in, and then it's rehearsal. And then, generally speaking, at the end of the day... When the orchestra's done, we pack away when we move on to the next place.
0: And while the orchestra's rehearsing, what are the stage managers doing then?
3: Yeah, it'd be a combination of things. Usually I'm doing often the load list for that night for the next thing. So it's all planning ahead. And also talking through if there's quite a big stage move in the concert. Laura and I will have a conversation about how that's going to pan out later so that when the concert does start, we're ready to go.
4: I thought you were just playing Patience.
3: That, that as well, yeah, oh, right, okay. just uh, when we can.
0: <laughs> and uh... Well, actually, Rachel, a good joke, but how much of Laura and Freddie's jobs do you actually see if they're setting up before and then sort of tidying away after? Do you get to speak to them much?
4: I do see quite a lot of them, actually, because as a harpist I tend to get to the rehearsal early in order to tune before everybody else does. So I'm very aware of... What they're doing. I I, I haven't been aware of how much earlier they start. I've just learned that. But they're always there doing an awful lot of work, setting up. It's impressive, actually. And Laura, could you put that into perspective
0: for us, uh, the the listeners? When we say set up, Mm -hmm. tell me all of the little bits that that would include.
2: We carry all of the musicians' instruments for them. Well, most of them anyway, the vast majority. So we have an 18-ton truck that moves around and meets us in each place and then we will unload that and then we lay it out backstage and we open all the boxes and everything. The musician has to just come in and lift their instrument out of a box and then they walk on stage. We set all the stands and chairs in a particular space. We make sure everyone has their own requirements met, hopefully. A lot of our cellos have particular chairs they they sit on and certain people need extra music stands. And Our job is to make sure that the musicians just can come on with no stress and just do their job as easily as possible. Most of the time, I think we achieve that... That's what we mean by setting up. It's just making sure everything is in the right place, ready for the musicians.
0: And it's fascinating to to know that that also includes the preference of the musician that you're catering for. And There are a lot of people on stage at at any one particular time. Uh, Rachel, have you had to have conversations with the team then in terms of your harp, how it's transported, how you like it to be presented, uh, where you are on the stage? Has that conversation had to happen?
4: Well, yes, I like to have it polished. uh... (laughs) (laughs) Do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) If I can speak generally for all musicians, I think the hardest part of the job for Freddie and Laura is putting up with us, because, um, you know, if we're having a bad day at the office, we can be a bit tricky. We all have places we prefer to sit. We all have our own different set of problems. And one of the things which occurs to me, which is a, a newer thing, which we all have to consider now, is noise and noise damage. In addition to putting up music stands... Um, you'll have somebody going, Laura, pretty. can I have a screen? Because they may be uncomfortably close to a very loud instrument. There are a lot of these things can't be dealt with until the whole orchestra is on stage and we've sat down and we've found our, our particular angle to the conductor. So there's a lot of last-minute glitches that can occur. And
0: also, I have to point out, uh, Laura, that Stephen commended your logistical skills, which obviously must be a really big part oh. of the job. <laughs> Do you enjoy that part, sort of, OK, we've got to change within a concert. This is how it's going to go down and the precision of it. Do you enjoy
2: that element? Yeah, <laughs> I love that side of it. Um, um, yeah, I love logistics and I love planning. And I just love it when like my plan works and it, and it happens. I mean, a lot of what we do is because, and it works so well, is because we spend such a long time planning it. It looks like... We just walk out on stage. But there'll be a lot of me saying to someone, you do that and you do that. And they'll say, we'll do this. And, and it has to be seamless because it's part of the show. So our stage moves have to look as good as the rest of it does. And we, want, we don't want to be obvious as well. Mm. So it, it takes a lot of planning I love an Excel spreadsheet. Um, I have them for everything um, Mm. (laughs) and it's down (laughs) to the time. And 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 so everything knows where it is. It knows where it's going and it has a place. It's the only way to make sure that this runs smoothly, really. And Rachel, when you're
0: setting up and, you know, you want to make sure that everything with your harp is as it should be, has it always gone smoothly for you that you know your instrument is there as you need it to be? No, not really. I'm <laughs> <laughs> getting into it now. <laughs>
4: um, um, but when I think about how long I've been doing this, there have been hardly any major disasters. Um, you know, you just have to take each day as it comes. I think a change of weather, as, as far as I'm concerned, that's the most disruptive thing, because oh, I'm always fretting about tuning. And generally speaking, my heart's pretty good-natured, but... If there is a sudden change of temperature, particularly humidity, if it's been a dry patch and it suddenly rains, or the opposite, it can unsettle an instrument quite majorly. But there's a saying in the profession that harpists spend half their time tuning and the rest of the time playing out of tune. (laughs) I try not to worry too much about it for rehearsals anymore because I just think life's too short. I've got an instrument that is pretty reliable, But I do get very fussy about performances. Uh, But by that stage, the harp hopefully will have settled. When an instrument's just come in off the van and you're in a new room and then there aren't any people in it and then half an hour later there are maybe 100 people in it, the temperature's going to change. So I think to try and be fastidious about tuning under those circumstances is just going to make you very, very neurotic. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a case of choosing when to be fussy and when to leave it well alone.
0: Absolutely.
4: Um, I have to think about where the harp has to be. I've got two. I've got one at home and one in London. And if we've got tours, sometimes an instrument has to go ahead of us and you have to have an extra instrument and you have to be organised. But one of the great things about being a harpist in an orchestra is that Basically, most of the time the instrument is moved on my behalf, which is just an absolute joy. It does sound like a luxury. Um, and to go on the train is just so exciting. Um, when I've driven, you know, as, as a freelancer, you, know, you drive all the time and uh, you have all that attendant hassle. And as we all know, driving around London gets harder and harder. I think to have your instrument looked after and moved for you is, is, is a luxury and, and it is always looked after extremely well. No complaints on that score. Yes, it looks like
0: uh, your half is getting the height of luxury as it travels, which is, is lovely. It's
4: in a box the size of a double coffin. Oh my goodness! <laughs> with a sprung floor. Yes, with a sprung floor. So oh, yes. Wow!
3: And a little duvet as well to keep yeah, it in yeah. And, yeah, and a teddy bear. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> it just gets better and better. I think I might move into the truck. <laughs> and do you have any specific concerts that you really remember that have just stuck out
3: for the positive or the negative? Recently would be, I guess, that percussion concerto, the Elfman concert last week, but that is very, very recent. That's probably the biggest thing I've had to deal with.
0: And Laura, what instruments were needed for this particular percussion concerto?
2: Oh, everything. It started with a marimba, and then we probably went to about... It was two xylophones, I think it was four glockenspiels, um, some pots, some pans, some bits of wood, some generic bits of metal, which consisted of um, scaffolding and springs, coils, car coils, brake discs from cars, all those sort of things. It used everything we had. That concert also had just to throw in a, um, a distressed piano. It was for Lord of the Rings and it was an orc battle. And so the percussionist had to hit the strings of the piano with metal chains. And no one wanted to do that to that piano, strangely. <laughs> but um, it was a, a joint effort, that concert for sure. Um, we had some instruments hired in from other percussionists and other like percussion Instrument higher places. Most of it was ours. Um, some of it was literally pots and pans they brought in from home. And the percussionist Colin Curry brought his specific tuned pots that he needed for his bit in himself, and he brought them down on a flight from Glasgow. And some um, slats of wood that were tuned as well. He brought them down in suitcases. Um, so yeah, it was a big group effort of, and it definitely exhausted everything we have in the LPO's <laughs> storeroom. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And so how do you approach setting up a piece like that?
3: So for the Danny Elfman, it was a percussion concerto premiere for him, so, and Danny Elfman was there, so he went to the rehearsal as well at Henry Woods. We had a setup initially in our plans and stuff. The soloist got there early as well, so we did it all. We were thinking in the back of our heads a bit, when Danny arrived, is this going to be moved around, is this going to happen? It did in the rehearsal. We adapted to that which went smoothly, (laughs) and then um, we got it to Festival Hall. The soloist section seemed okay. He was set up and was fine. It was then the main... I think there was an additional four percussion stations on the stage. That was the complicated bit, because they went into the choir stalls. So we had the front bits of the choir stalls taken out. Laura's plan was to put them one station up there, another opposite, mirroring it, and then two below. And then Danny hadn't quite... It wasn't quite what he envisaged. So last minute, just as he arrived near near the time of the rehearsal, we then had to swap and take off a heavy set of bells off, you know, a good metre, metre and a half, or whatever it was, down. I think we we replaced them with the trombones. They ended up going... So this wasn't in our plan at all leading up to this. So on the day, we had to then quickly swap all this round, and this is where sort of instant thinking comes in, and you've just got to not panic. You just get on with it and come up with a decision. The brass were great about it. They went up there. And then we moved the perk and it was fine. But there, there was a few moments where we were like, there's no, there's no space left on the stage, so you just have to work with what you've got. And, yeah, it was it was complicated, but we made it work.
4: I remember one occasion when we were doing a percussion concerto by Tam Dunn, and it had a lot of water in it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember we were doing it on tour and I had a, a certain amount of to do and at the end of the concert I was presented with a bouquet for some reason so I put it in, I put it in one of the pots <laughs> I love it, <laughs> multi-purpose percussion <laughs> I, I, don't know, uh, I don't know if the percussionist was particularly <laughs> amused but I thought it was hysterical <laughs> Watch out for your heart, Rachel, I'll tell you that
0: <laughs> and Laura, what's the main element that you look to to get this sorted? And who draws up the stage plan of where everybody goes?
2: Me. Yeah, it's all done on a programme that we've got That's everything's to scale, I put everything on the plan and hope for the best sometimes. It's not foolproof. Our stage is a bit tricky in that it's quite angular, so it, it looks, in theory, like it'll work, and then you get there and there's this tiny little awkward corner and you think... What point is that? Like, Um, (laughs) Nothing can fit there, but I've got a cello sat there, so then you have to rethink it. But, yeah, generally speaking, everything's drawn upon a stage plan that's all to scale.
0: That's fascinating. And are the musicians always happy with where they're placed or do you have to sort of amend it based on their preference as well?
4: We do have strong opinions about where we like to sit. Sometimes we're happy, sometimes we're not. I think the point is to know... When to stand your ground and not compromise, and other times to know when actually you've just got to go with the flow and think about the greater good. Where's your threshold? Is it acoustics? Is it what is it? My threshold is being able to do my job as well as I possibly can. And if I'm put in a position on stage where I can't hear or see and I don't feel that I'm doing my job properly, I can get quite grumpy.
0: Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's been heard by Laura now. <laughs> Start with the heart. Work out with
4: <laughs> Laura and Freddie are never the
0: problem.
2: <laughs> is there an element of stress attached to it? Always, because you never know how anyone else is going to react to what you're suggesting. I do quite a lot of planning, as I've said, but I will always, always like I read the score and I look through the instruments. Sometimes there's little directions in there that you don't see, and if you can preempt those sort of things, you know about it. Sometimes getting into the head of what the composer wants or the conductor that really helps the situation because if I think okay, I know what you want, what your final outcome is here, then we can work back from that. So it's it is stressful. Yeah,
3: yeah, being a few steps ahead helps yeah. if yeah. you can do it. Yeah.
2: And tell me a
0: bit about your career journeys. How did you get to where you are now?
3: So um, originally, in my gap year before I went to university. To st- uh, so I studied economics, politics and international relations, which obviously is coming a lot of use. <laughs> and uh, so in my gap year, I did crew work, just crewing, like we get the guys in for us, for another London orchestra. So I did that for the summer and then went to uni, didn't get a job in anything degree related. So I thought, well, I'll just get back into this for a bit of money. And then the crew often, you meet crew or in other orchestras, other stage managers who just do it on the side or for a bit of extra money. And then if you get on well with them or well, they can see, you, you might know what you're doing and they get you in there. So that sort of happened, and eventually I went, ended up here from meeting an old stage manager of here who got me in and then met Laura here, and then I've been helping the LPO out, I think it's coming up to four years, and then I got offered the job this January, which I just jumped at the chance, because although I did enjoy the... it was I'm using my brain a bit more now, because I am now planning or doing... I, I tend to look after and do stage plans for, say, education gigs or regional stuff like Brighton and Eastbourne and... And now I'm here, and just seeing where the journey takes me. But yeah, it's been it's been fun. I, I can think.
0: feel the passion coming through. I love it. Congratulations yeah, thank you you. on the job. Uh, and how about yourself, Laura? What's your journey been?
2: Well, I wanted to be a professional musician, so I took the route of going to music college and um, what did was a your mat- instrument uh, trumpet. Nice. Did an undergrad and then did a postgrad at Trinity Laban. And during that time, due to a couple of Unforeseen issues. Um, I decided that playing probably wasn't going to be for me long term. But um, Trinity's really good in that they have—they um, don't have any on-site rehearsal space, so they employ students to move their instruments around for them. So um, I started doing that on the side, and then I thought, "Oh, I quite like this. It's—it's it's still within." the area I love, and I get my fix of the orchestra. I just don't have to go on stage and play, and that actually suits me. And then, yeah, I got a job at Trinity Laban doing the planning and um, running the concerts there. And then, yeah, like Freddie, spent a lot of time freelancing with orchestras alongside, and then I got a job here, so, yeah.
0: And how long have you been working with the LPS?
2: Three and a half years. Amazing.
0: Yeah. And so how many are in the team when you're talking about moving the instruments around the stage?
2: So there's the core team of... Freddie and I do most of the stage work, and then Stephen is the primary driver, but he also comes in and covers this side. When we're working at South Bank, we've got a really good relationship with the guys backstage there, so they will help us with all our moves as well. So that's the core team that we have. And then we have freelancers that are amazing, we couldn't do the job without them, and they come in for all set-ups and loadouts. and if we do have a particular stage change that requires more people will get them in as well and they go in every orchestra in London so it's always a, a bit of a fight to see who can get booked first with the right people because there's only a small pool of people and they go all over the place and they can be working all day in all of these different orchestras so their knowledge and experience is amazing to have as well because sometimes when we're packing the truck and stuff they'll be like oh have you tried this or what about this and they're just so valuable as well to us, aren't they? Yeah,
3: it helps if we've been in the building from seven, seven thirty, and it's now ten thirty at night. If you've got these really helpful guys, we have all the time come in. Their brain's going to be a little bit fresher than ours, possibly. So just they can do a bit of more of the, you know, the physical work if we need it. And and this is where the spreadsheet comes in handy as well. Laura's ahead of the game with the booking of the crew, so we can get the people we want. And like the, the percussion concerto, they were a couple of those were on the stage with us, helping get all that off. So I I think it took us four minutes in the end. They know how to handle the the percussion, the instruments, and they're a big part of that smooth operation for us, and we wouldn't wouldn't be able to do it without those um, guys either.
4: I think so much goes unsaid. It's the fact that Laura and Freddie just know so much background information, you assume so much, that's what makes it flow. If somebody came in who maybe had never had any experience of working in this scenario, it would be a complete nightmare. So a lot goes unsaid. Yeah. I always find not talking helps hugely. (laughs) 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 I'll tell you, one of my my biggest moments I remember when I decided I just simply could not be a freelancer anymore was when I was working about, oh golly, decades ago with Yehudi Menuhin's Live Music Now scheme and a whole load of chamber ensembles had gone out to France, and we were all out there doing little chamber concerts all over different regions of France. I was working with a flautist, and we were travelling around. And anyway, in those days, it was easier to get airside at airports, and we'd managed to get my harp, it's unbelievable actually, loaded into an aeroplane, not in a box, which I wouldn't do in a month of Sundays now. I was flying to Lyon. And we phoned ahead, we told everybody, there's a harp. It needs to come up separately by hand at the airport where we arrive. You know, a valuable instrument, you know, it does, does, does. I had the nearest thing to a heart attack when I saw my harp coming up on the baggage carousel at Lyon Airport. No. And it went, Kee! <laughs> and uh, fortunately it was OK, but I just thought, No.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't that even did. begin to imagine that <laughs> I do wonder, do any of the musicians come to you having been away from their instruments so long I don't know if you've ever done this,
4: Rachel say, how's it How's it been, almost like a, not a babysitting service but you know what I mean I would never ask that question <laughs> I mean, for a start, it wouldn't happen I have found that the best thing is to Be a bit philosophical. There's only so much you can do. And at the end of the day, if an instrument gets damaged, it's not life and death. It's something that can be repaired. And so you do your best and then you pack it up and you go home and you try not to think about it. And the last thing I think about when we're travelling internationally is the harp. Really? I mean, I just don't want to go there because it would make me into a jubbering wreck. So I choose to be blissfully ignorant. Ah, because I'm worrying
2: for you. Yes! (laughs) There it is. <laughs> Fred, Fred, Freddie will back me up on that. Yeah. yeah I have um, stress dreams and uh, oh, yeah, going on about percussion bit, in the middle so of it. the night, and there's a piano move that I need to do in the middle of the night, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's always going on in the back of my head. I was just thinking, you know, when we're on tour, you know, it's one thing
4: getting an orchestra set for the Festival Hall and Henry Wood Hall and our normal. Uh, rehearsal venues and concert venues. But when we're on tour, say we're doing a, a two week tour, a, a Schlepp round Germany or something. You've got a different venue every single night and that's another aspect of the job. That, that's really tiring as well because mm. you're probably working with different crew every day as well, every aren't you? Yeah. Yes. Every single day. Um, mm. And I remember we were in Turkey recently and there was some awful get-in oh. and there was no <laughs> lift. And, I, and didn't you show me pictures of, oh. of a double base being carried it, on the back of somebody? Oh, uh, yes. Completely, story, yes. completely oh. incorrectly. Um, yeah. There was, was two, I
3: mean, horrendous. there was the one in Turkey where they were carrying, like, yes, yeah, it was like a jetpack, or flight cases that weigh, I don't know, 80 kilograms. And they were just putting a bit of strap around and carrying it down about 100 stairs. And we just had to watch. And they said that's the way they did it. And that's the way they did it. But the, I think the one that was most bonkers was it was at Bucharest. The get in for us was through a window about two floors up
1: from, so, a, scissor lift. from a
3: scissor lift. So yeah. we had to lower the ramp onto like a drawbridge, which then went. <laughs> up onto a scissor lift that went up, swaying in the air. Wow. With all you could see, these double bases. I mean, it was obviously secure. And then it went across a little metal um, bridge through a window. <laughs> oh,
2: my goodness. Yeah, I mean... I've never
3: seen anything like that.
2: When you go on tour anywhere, you have to have eyes in the back of your head because you can't assume that anyone knows anything. So every single instrument has to be looked at. You have to watch it's exhausting and trying to explain in whatever language, because as much as I would love to be fluent in every language to every place we go to, it's just not a reality. And sometimes if we're lucky, we'll have someone with us an agent who speaks the language, but more often than not, we're on our own because they can't be everywhere. And trying to explain to someone, you have to carry this in a particular way. It's exhausting because you have to keep your eyes on it. Um, all the time. So. The other thing I've noticed, if, if you'll forgive me for bringing
4: sex into it in a, um, for a moment, okay. is that Laura is obviously a woman. We're used to both sexes working for us, in fact, in the UK. And uh, But there are parts of the world where having a woman in charge yes. really doesn't go down well. And... I've noticed, I've sort of sometimes stood back and watched the pantomime because uh, (laughs) there will be a lady in charge and there will be men there who really don't like it. (laughs) And I have to say, Laura is just so cool. Ah. Eventually, they they realise that actually it's irrelevant because she does know what she's doing. But, yeah, there have been a few amusing moments
3: yeah, it happened on one of the last, the tours we just, the, I can't remember, but was, and they just would look to me, and it, this was before I was in uh, full-time, so I, I've, none of the planning's mine. I was there to, as ASM, but Laura had all, of it, she'd done all the work. And they would just look to me and I said, it's nothing to do and Laura and then Laura will stand her and it's just like, talk to her, she's in charge. Amazing. And they'd come round. But it's, yeah. it's 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 irritating. At the end
2: of that at the end of that concert, they were calling me the Queen of London. I love yeah. that. <laughs> I love that.
4: So they should.
3: That you're you're proud. Proud. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I just want to put into perspective for the listeners as well. When you were talking about touring and all of the instruments that you have to pick and mm-hmm. how many instruments are we talking about? How many cases are we talking about?
3: There's normally about four to five maximum percussion boxes. There's three string boxes, like violins and violas. And then six.
0: We're
2: looking at about 30 to
3: 35
0: boxes. And inside the boxes, how many instruments in
2: total do you think you'd have? Probably about 100, maybe, because...
3: Some boxes have more. If obviously if yeah. there's a woodwind, there's a smaller instrument, a there'll, yeah, there's loads in there. Yeah, or yeah.
2: lots of trumpets. And yeah, and people have
3: extra spare instruments, or if they're playing more than one, if they're in a the woodwind and they're playing different flutes, or yeah, there's a lot. The, the trucks, there's a lot of value on the on the lorry. It's incredible.
0: Yeah. yeah. Rachel, is there anything you'd like to say on behalf of the musicians to the stage managers, especially having heard a bit more? You know, you you realised how early the days start and some things you would realise from this chat.
4: Oh, thank you. You know, a a massive thank you. And also an apology for when we get just a little bit crabby. You know, when when we're having a bad day or the uh, seating is problematic and it's uncomfortable and we get a bit testy, thank you for putting up with us. I think we are so lucky to have this team working for us and I, I never, ever take it for granted.
0: Brilliant. Is there anything that you would like to say, Freddie and Laura, to the musicians that you work with?
3: Uh, well, I, I, it's never, uh, yeah, I'll just get the list out. No, um, it's, it's never, like Bridge was saying, if they're crabby, I know it's never personal because yeah. they've got to go on at the end of the day and do a very stressful, I, I wouldn't want to do that just as much as they might not want to do what we do. They've got to put on the show, which is it must be so stressful. It's never never taken to heart. Maybe don't leave cups of water on the floor when you go off of stage. Oh, I was that...
2: going to say look after your Pe- own pencils. Pencils as well. Yeah, Look after your own pencils. <laughs> they go
3: missing. And, yeah, so, do they that...
2: ask you for the pencils? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The amount of times we have, oh, I've left my special pencil somewhere. Yeah. Outside okay. of your remit. Yeah, Do <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know how many pencils we encounter? And, um, yeah.
3: Left yeah. a scarf in Eastbourne. I was like, well, we're in London now. I don't, I don't know where the scarf is.
2: <laughs> so I'm just sorry. just the instruments, not any peripheral be <laughs> I mean, we do our best to take in everything we can, but... Um,
3: yeah. yeah, no, we we, we, do, yeah, we do. If the odd pencil goes missing, we, we are sorry. Yeah, no, it, most of the time it's all fun.
0: Well, thank you so much, Laura, Freddie and Rachel, for sharing with us, giving us a great insight into the life of a stage manager at the LPO. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Rachel Masters, Laura Kitson and Freddie Jackson for taking us through the hectic job of a stage manager. Please get in touch using the hashtag OffstagePod and thank you for listening. Do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage. See you then.